All right, listener, you've got about 30 seconds to put in your headphones before your kids or boss or people in the elevator with you start asking questions about what on earth you are listening to. In the meantime, let me introduce myself. My name is Ray Burns, and I want to encourage Christians to understand why they do what they do and why they believe what they believe so they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, I'm going to have a fairly open and possibly blunt discussion on what the Bible actually says about what a husband and wife can do in the bedroom. Now, I want to start this off with kind of two warnings. One is that, like I said, this is going to be a bit of a blunt discussion. I don't want to be body or inappropriate, but at the same time, I don't want to spend the next 20 or 30 minutes dancing around certain subjects. So I'm going to just say certain things, talk about certain sexual acts in a way that is not at all meant to conjure images in your mind or anything like that, but certain words and phrases will probably be said. So be warned of that. If you find that I say anything that is inappropriate or over the line, I simply ask right now that you will just extend me grace, understanding that I am an imperfect person trying to discuss something that is very little discussed, especially within Christian circles. And I'm trying to do so with respect, but also getting right down to what it is that people are wondering so that we can get into the truth that God has revealed in his word. The second thing that I want to start this off with is to say that this is going to be discussed primarily with married couples in mind. Um, If you've been around this podcast long enough, you know that I am a fairly conservative person and that I think that God's word is very clear that sex is only for the marriage bed, and we'll kind of get into that. So if you're coming into this wondering if I'm going to talk about that, there's my discussion. Don't have sex before marriage. Uh, On top of that, um, I also realize that the discussion of sex in general can cause some people to drift towards uh, temptation in terms of their thoughts, which can then lead to certain actions, whether it's looking at things online or pursuing certain acts with physical human beings. So if you are someone who, for the most part, is not married and you are not sure that this discussion will be beneficial for you or it might lead you into any kind of temptation or impure thoughts in a way that is not going to help your walk with Christ, I would honestly just say this is probably not an episode to listen to. If reading is somehow easier, of course, as always, I will link the article version of this episode down in the notes. But uh, in general, I just ask that anyone listening to this be wise with the time that you're spending as we really dig into what God says about what married couples can and cannot do in the bedroom. So when it comes to the discussion of sex and what God may have set up or placed in terms of limits or rules in the bedroom— We really need to think about a lot of what goes into why we have this question or what it is that we are assuming about sex. Do we think that sex is just purely for our benefit and and our enjoyment? Is it only for procreation and therefore the act of sex should be a purely functional and biological thing? Is it really just something that is meant to satisfy the husband and the wife just has to kind of stick with the drudgery and hope that day after day maybe he's too tired to ask for anything? You know, Or, simply put, is sex something that should only have maybe one position enjoyed and there should be no experimentation or exploration done? Married couples 
tend to have a lot of questions, especially in more conservative circles of Christianity. There's just a lot of questions that people are going to have about, is what I am enjoying bringing glory to God? Is God okay with what I want to do or what we are doing? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, of course, the number one desire we have is to bring glory to our God. And so we want to make sure that especially with something as intimate and personal and special as sex, we are doing just that, that we are bringing glory to our God. So what I want to really just do in this episode is start off by talking about why people might question if God does have rules for the bedroom. And I'm going to kind of share some extreme examples, but also some things that just in general Christians might be wondering. And I'm not going to get into very specifically what you can and can't do or what is or isn't permissible. I'm going to go more in the range of let's look at what the Bible says in terms of principles, in terms of how our worldview should be shaped by how we view sex, and from there see if we can get some good guidance on what brings glory to God with our spouse in the bedroom. So first, let me just talk about why some people might be having this question, because you might be listening to this and just thinking, why would God have rules for the bedroom? Why does he care what I do behind closed doors with my spouse? And so I want to share what is many are going to view as an extreme teaching, but within segments of conservative Christianity, this is actually a mentality that people have. And if this does not apply to you, or if you are just completely unconvinced by it, still stick around because I am going to talk about things that are going to apply to you. But let's just get into kind of the really conservative, you know, sex negative, if you will, view of how a husband and wife are to behave in the bedroom. Now, within church history, there has been a belief that the missionary position is the only sex position that is acceptable for husband and wife, and ultimately that this is the only thing that is truly appropriate outside of things like kissing or holding hands. But in terms of sexual acts, only the missionary position is allowed. Now, I assume most people are familiar with that term, but if you're not, simply put, the missionary position is where the woman is on her back and the husband is on top of her stomach to stomach. And people will say that this is the only sex that honors God and that this is all that people should do. Now, you'll see this a lot in the more strict or stern branches of Christianity. There are some very hyper-conservative cults that would also believe this way. And we might be thinking, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, especially in the year, as I record this, the year 2021. But let's look biblically at why people might be thinking this. So they would get this teaching from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, which says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So immediately you might be reading that and thinking, what on earth does that have to do with sex? Well, I agree with you, but not everyone does. Now, even all the way back in the 1200s, there was a guy named Thomas Aquinas who used this idea, this principle of the husband being over the wife, being the head of the wife, to explain why it only honors God to have sex in one specific way. And he says, and I'm going to all explain what he's saying here, but he says, these species are differentiated on the part of the woman rather than of the man, because in the venereal act, the woman is passive and is by way of matter, whereas the man is by way of agent. In other words, within the sexual act, the woman is meant to be passive. She is to be subservient. She is to be submissive 
to her husband, whereas the man is meant to be the agent of engaging sex. He is to be the actor. He is to lead the act, meaning that the husband is the one who is effectively supposed to be doing everything during sex while his wife lays there. That is the belief that would be taught here. And again, that's because it's it's all meant to model this idea that the man is leading in every aspect of his life. And as Christians, we would agree that the husband is meant to lead his family as a picture of Christ being the head and leader of the church. And so within this, this worldview and this belief system, they would say that God is only glorified and only honored through sex in this way, and that anything else is outside the bounds of God's creation because it defies what he has called the husband and the wife to do. And people would also use biology to support this and say that based on how our sexual organs are designed between men and women, we are designed to fit best and most naturally in the missionary position. Now, taking that maybe a step further, they would say that not only is there only one position that is acceptable, but any form of sexual experimentation within the bedroom is dishonoring to God. And they would say that because sex itself is meant to be a very kind of simple and maybe even sacred thing, and so to try to try new techniques or try to do sexual things that are not purely functional, whether that be new positions, whether that be things like oral sex, these things dishonor God because they are meant to feed our lusts. They are meant to simply make us feel good with no functional purpose behind them. And so they would say that what that is, is that is us losing self-control and giving into our physical desires by wanting to experience other things within the bedroom. And the support for this would come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, which says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so, you know, breaking this down, what they would basically be saying here is that if we want to be sanctified, if we want God to make us effectively more like Jesus Christ and less like the world, then we need to abstain from sexual immorality. And how is sexual immorality defined? In this, it's by not having self-control of our bodies in sanctification and instead being controlled by our lustful passion like those who don't have God and those who don't have the Holy Spirit growing the fruit of the Spirit in them that gives them, among other things, self-control. So at first glance, this position may have some merit because we do realize, you know, if we're being honest, if we're, if we're setting aside our cultural ideas or our personal desires and purely saying, what does God's word say? We can see that this does seem to say that perhaps we need to rethink how sexually active we are and how maybe loose or free we are within what we do with our spouse in the bedroom. And instead, making sure that our lives are focused on pursuing and honoring Christ and not being given over to our desires to have fun or to experience new things physically and in terms of our relationship with our spouse to make sure that, you know, as a woman, you are being submissive to your husband within even the sexual act, as well as every other area of life, and that the husband is making sure that he is leading, that he is perhaps even the literally over his wife as they are having sex. And then above all, we need to realize that 
our culture, I mean, especially today, this may be more relevant than ever. You know, our culture is obsessed with sex and everyone just having fun and being sex positive. And the idea that we would say that anything within the bedroom is wrong is a very worldly thing. And as Christians, we want to make sure that we are not having our worldview and our beliefs and our values formed by the world, but instead that we are seeking to honor God in everything and instead coming out from the world and killing our fleshly desires that makes us want to act like those who are still enemies of God. So that might sound convincing, but as Solomon tells us in Proverbs, everything sounds convincing if you only look at one side of the evidence. And he says that in Proverbs eighteen seventeen that the first to plead his case seems right until another comes along and examines him. So instead of just trying to take one or two verses and, if we're being honest, kind of shoehorn some values on them that they were never meant to teach, let's look at what the Bible, kind of in a bigger picture sense, actually says about sex so that we can get a bigger picture of what is and is not allowed within the bedroom. And what's really nice for those of you who may be a little iffy on that stance is that the Bible actually has a lot more to say about what we are to do within the bedroom rather than all these restrictions that might be there. So let's just look at a few things that the Bible has to say about sex. So the first and perhaps the most obvious to a lot of people is just the Song of Solomon in general. Now, You may not be super familiar with this book because this one doesn't spend a whole lot of time behind the pulpit. The book of the Song of Solomon is at its core about a husband and wife who enjoy one another. And if we believe that the Song of Solomon was inspired by God like the rest of Scripture, then we have to acknowledge that God gave us an entire book focused on the emotional and the sexual aspects of love within a marriage. And as you read the Song of Solomon you'll see that sex in this, it's not functional. The relationship, the physical relationship between the man and woman is built on a healthy and God-honoring desire for one another. And at the end of the day, they really seem to enjoy the act of sex and the things that they do with one another. And it's not just about Solomon having sex, and that's something we'll get into a little bit later, but it's not just about Solomon having sex, but about both of them enjoying and looking forward to being together again. Now, another thing that the Bible tells us is that sex is to be protected. And this is a key. This is really going to, I think, be central to a lot of how we think about sex. So in Hebrews 13.4, it says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So here we need, this really speaks against our culture's idea of sex. If the, the first thing I talked about was kind of the hyper-conservative version, now we're talking against those people who say that, oh, just do whatever, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, sex is supposed to be fun. Because what this is really saying here is that we are not free to simply pursue whatever sexual gratification that we desire if our desire is to please God. Because within the bedroom with our spouse. We are called to honor God just as much as we are in any other aspect of our lives. And when we have that as our focus, then what we want to do is to honor our marriage in the same way as we honor what the picture of our marriage is. And that is that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. It's meant to be a reflection. It's meant to point us to our Savior and to his relationship with us as his people, both universally as well as how he interacts with the local church. And so here in Hebrews, 
we see that God is calling us to keep the bedroom pure. And if we aren't sure what that means, he gives us fornicators and adulterers as examples of those who would not fit this description, who would not be in line with what he's calling us to. And so what we need to realize, really above all else, is that God means for the marriage bed to be between a man and a woman and nothing and especially no one else. And so let's just be blunt on what this is talking about. And these are just some examples. So the marriage bed is to be kept free from things like swinging, where people are swapping partners. It's to be kept free from premarital sex, because marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, and we can't reflect that with just some person that we are not married to. We're meant to get married and then enjoy sex within the bedroom. That is how we keep it undefiled. We're also not to have extramarital sex, meaning adultery, obviously, but even having this idea of an open relationship where anyone is free to have sex with another person, that is still considered adultery. Even if the other partner is okay with it, God views it as adultery because marriage is meant to be a picture, a reflection of Christ and his church, and Christ has no room for us to seek others on top of him in addition to him. That is called idolatry in our relationship to Christ, and it is adultery in marriage. So if we're not allowed to cheat on Christ with other gods, with other you know, pursuits and desires and put things above him, we are not allowed to do that with our spouse either. Now, I would also say that on top of physical, you know, introducing someone physically into the bedroom, we are not allowed to introduce someone emotionally or mentally into the bedroom as well. That would include any form of pornography, whether viewing it during sex or whether using that as some kind of, you know, ramp up to sex. Pornography has no room in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, and especially not in the bedroom, because that is introducing someone, even if they're not physically there, that is introducing someone else into your physical relationship. Likewise, picturing someone in your mind or imagining things during sex or before sex, those are not honoring to God, those are defiling the marriage bed. Because once again, just like with pornography, that is introducing someone else into your sexual relationship with your spouse, even if it's only in your mind, even if you are telling yourself that it's okay, that it's helping things move along, that it makes you more sexually active and makes you a better sexual partner for your spouse. There is no excuse for introducing anyone else into our relationship with our spouse. And so here, these, these restrictions, you know, to kind of sum this up, these restrictions exist to make sure that we are treating our marriage as what it's meant to be. And it's not something that is just meant to be for our pleasure, but is something that points to Jesus Christ, that draws us closer to our Savior by us having a godly and Christ-honoring relationship with our spouse. And then really kind of the last principle I want to hit on here in terms of what the Bible says we should or shouldn't do in the bedroom or how we should think about it is that sex is meant to be enjoyed by both people. So there's this popular idea in our culture, or maybe it's more of a cliche at this point, but it's that the amount of sex that a couple has in their first year of marriage is going to be more than they'll have for their next 40 or 50 years. Meaning that, you know, when, when marriage starts out, you know, husband and wife are enjoying one another and they're so excited for sex and they just can't wait to enjoy one another's bodies. But then they get tired of it or things get in the way or it 
you know, the, the flame kind of fizzles out. And so sex is just kind of this ho-hum thing that they'll do occasionally. You know, and sometimes in extreme cases, we hear couples talk about how they only have sex on someone's birthday or very special occasions or things like that. Uh, in addition to that kind of cliche, what often happens is that we see that it, you know, maybe the man wants more sex, but his wife is just, you know, he, she's too busy. She feels just burdened with her husband's desire and sex is just not enjoyable for her at all. And so she kind of does it as a duty to him. But it's something that she looks forward to just as much as you know, doing the dishes or, you know, filing taxes. And so when we have that kind of cliche, we see that sex between a couple is an incredibly rare thing. And when it happens, there's no real passion or excitement to it. It happens maybe, you know, once or twice a week very consistently and sometimes even less than that. And, you know, if you've ever kind of talked to people about sex and, and you know, husband-wife relationships, perhaps it's a joke or perhaps that just seems normal. But that attitude of sex being this rare thing or this, you know, kind of joke where the husband really wants it but the wife, you know, has no pleasure in it is actually completely against God's desire for us. And so what I want to do is I want to read a passage and then I'm going to go back through that passage and kind of take out chunks where we can see what God has to say about sex and how we as married couples should think about it and possibly even repent if we've been in sin and against God's desire for sex with our spouse up to this point. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. And this says, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what do we learn from this passage? First, we see once again the reminder that each man is to have his own wife, each woman is to have her own husband. Marriage is meant to be a two-person relationship and nothing more. Next, we see that sex protects us from immorality. It says, talks about not depriving one another so that you're not tempted towards other sin. And especially as we've seen in the frequency of marriage, often adultery happens because one spouse feels lacking in their relationship and in their sexual satisfaction. And so they go seeking it elsewhere. That is not an excuse, of course, but we see that that is a benefit that we have to sex within marriage is that it protects us from other immorality we see that it is a spouse's duty to satisfy their partner. Now, I want to be super duper clear here because I'll read this again. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. And then if you read on a little bit, it says that the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And so a lot of times when we read this, we, we bring in that problematic worldview that I just talked about, about how we see, oh, you know, the, the husband is so, you know, sexually active and ha ha ha. And, oh, look, the Bible says, honey, you have to have sex with me. Put it, put a pin in that. And we're going to get to that. And hopefully I'm going to show you that if you are a husband who is thinking that way, if you have that kind of relationship with your wife where you are the very sexually active one and she is not, we're going to take a principle that's not just she's got to give you sex. 
And instead, we're going to talk about how you can serve her better as a follower of Jesus Christ and encourage her in her devotion to Christ in being sexually active with you. But here, what we have to realize, though, is that each spouse's body, continuing on, belongs to one another. So my wife's body isn't hers to deprive me of. Likewise, my body is not mine to deprive her of. If one of us is desiring sex, then unless there's good reason not to, sex is something that should be happening. And people don't like that. And I, and I understand why. I understand that it almost sounds like a kind of sexual servitude where you got to give me sex whenever I want it. But again, let's not just jump the gun here because we're going to talk a little bit more about principles at the end of this and why this is a good thing. But what we need to just understand from this, just, just to get us by and further into our discussion, is that our bodies are not ours to control and to deprive our spouse of. If our spouse is desiring sex, or especially if our spouse is needing sex because they are being tempted towards other immorality, whether it's impure thoughts, whether it's desires to look at pornography, or to seek other relationships outside of the marriage, that is a time where we don't hold our bodies apart from them in order to teach them a lesson or make them feel bad. We serve our spouse by giving them our bodies, by taking care of their sexual needs. And then finally, I just want to point out that kind of the overall principle we need to see here is that sex is meant to be regular and consistent. If you go back through this verse, this passage, and I would encourage you to, you know, pause now or, you know, check down in the show notes where I share all the scripture that I've used, read back through this and just look at how frequent sex is implied to be as you read this. We're fulfilling duties. We are not depriving one another. You know, it talks about, um, towards the end, it says, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time. In other words, unless you are specifically setting aside a time to not have sex and in this passage, it implies that it's a spiritual reason. You know, it says so that you can devote yourselves to prayer. Don't deprive one another of sex. Sex should be regular. It should be an active part of your relationship. And I know people say, oh, you know, I'm so busy. We can't find time. Find time. It glorifies God when we find time to have sex with our spouse, to do so regularly. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every free minute. It can be something where you can, you know, plan you know, several days a week if you need to, whatever works within your marriage, but make sure that sex is regular and not something that you find time for in the same way that we say, oh, you know, I would watch more movies or I would work on my hobby more if only I had more time. We do not treat sex like that. That is not how God designed it. God did not design sex to be this fun thing that we get to when we can. It is a critical part of our marriage. Just like eating dinner is an important part of our lives, sex is necessary within marriage. And so if you are married, don't hold your body ransom from your spouse because they made you mad or because you need to, you know, find this magical time where it feels right. Make sex so important that you will find time for it, and I guarantee there is time in your day even if you have to give up other things, even if you have to give up watching Netflix, you know, for two, three hours a day, if you have to give up getting together with your friends or, you know, going out and working on your car in the garage, whatever it takes, find time consistently and regularly to have sex as a married couple in a way that brings glory to God and that draws you closer to one another. And if you're the one in your relationship who is the more sexually desirous one, 
help your spouse make time for sex or help them feel like they have time for it. So do the dishes, do the laundry, help with the cooking, take the dogs for their walk at night. You know, whatever it is that makes them feel like they just don't have enough time or that they just can't get into a good headspace in order to kind of focus on feeling any kind of desire for sex, do what you can do to help them clear that up and feel more free and more open and show them that you're not just sitting here trying to add what may what they may feel as a burden to their day, but that you are trying to do what you can do to help them with something that you believe is biblically important for your marriage. And if you're not that person, if you are the one that is much less desirous for sex, then just have your spouse listen to this episode and give them a loving nudge when this section comes up. Now, kind of digging just a little deeper into this, I think I want to hit this now instead of waiting till uh, the end of this. So we see that there's a consistency that's meant to be within marriage. And sometimes that might require scheduling, but really we should view sex as married people as something that we look forward to, something that we enjoy. Now, for men, it doesn't surprise us that they might enjoy sex. But notice that this passage, as we're looking at it, it says that a husband is to fulfill his duty to his wife. The husband's body does not belong to him, but belongs to his wife. Really think about that, because that is saying that a husband and a wife's sexual desires are to be treated equally. Maybe they are not going to be equally intense or equally you know, desiring in terms of frequency, but this joke that we have that a man is you know, going to desire sex and want sex and, and things like that also should apply to a woman. So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that would make a woman enjoy sex enough that her husband would have to be reminded that it's his duty to satisfy her? How on earth could there be a wife out there who wants sex so much that her husband would be in sin for denying her, meaning that she wants it frequently enough that he would be in sin to not give it to her, to deny her, to hold his sex ransom from her. I'm going to be very blunt about this. Each spouse is meant to bring pleasure to the other. Now, how do we do that? Because we think, oh, well, you know, I, you know, I just want to have sex and I hope that she likes it. No. And I'm just, I'll be honest, I'm just going to speak to the guys here. Ladies, you know, this will obviously apply to you too. I know that, again, it's not a cliche that, oh, all men want sex and women have to be coaxed into it. But I'm just going to speak honestly to the guys right now. Guys, if you want your wife to enjoy sex then you need to treat it like any other way that you get to know her so that you can make her happy. Just like you want to know her favorite food or her favorite restaurant so that you can make her happy by surprising her with a nice occasion. Just like knowing her, her preferences in terms of how the house looks or you know, how you, you know, dress or movies that you watch together, whatever it is. As husbands, we're meant to get to know our wives so much that we know how to serve them by loving them and bringing them enjoyment with our emotional relationship, we need to apply that equally to our physical relationship with them. And so what this will basically look like is that it's not just about us having sex and hoping that they have fun or enjoy themselves. It's about us truly getting to know them, learning what they do and don't like, and ultimately making their sexual satisfaction our goal and desire within sex. And I want to be very clear with what I mean by that. A lot of times, as guys, we want to treat sex as this thing where we just kind of have our fun and enjoy and then be done and move on with our day. But when we do that, we're treating sex selfishly. We're making it all about us and just letting our spouse be deprived 
or lack something that they could otherwise have. So when we are thinking about sex and approaching sex, we want to make sure that when we enter into it, it is something where we are seeking to serve our spouse first, making sure they are taken care of, making sure that they are having their needs met. And then at the end of the day, as guys, obviously, it's usually easier for us to get fulfillment when sex is all said and done. But whatever it is that we have to do, we need to make sure that our wives are enjoying sex enough that it's something that they actually want, that they might even feel is lacking in their lives. Now, I'm not saying that's something that's going to magically happen. And, you know, women are just hardwired by God to think of sex differently than we are. So we shouldn't expect them to want it like we do. But make sure that sex is something that you are serving your spouse in, getting to know her and making sure that any needs or desires that she might have are being taken care of by you as her husband, as someone who loves her more than anyone else in the world does, and as someone who wants to see that she is taken care of in every possible way imaginable. And now when we think about that and we remove kind of our selfish desires from sex and our own enjoyment and our own fun, we realize just how much this idea of sex goes beyond our culture's views. Because for a world that hates God, especially right now in America, sex is all about what we get out of it and us having fun. And this takes sex beyond something that is an unfortunate part of marriage or a dutiful part of marriage or a drudgery. And it makes it something that is exciting and fun and enjoyable and is a way that we can love our spouse by, if we need to, giving up our own desires, whether it's our own desires for certain things or whether it's our desires not to have sex and instead loving them and serving them by making sure that they are taken care of. So let me just wrap this up and just talk about one question that I believe guides how we should think about the bedroom. Because I've talked about some false ideas we have, and I've talked about some kind of things that the Bible does say. But when we're actually talking about this and thinking about it and trying to apply it to our own marriages, what what is a perhaps universal question or principle or thought that can guide us in answering if this thing that we want, whatever it is, if this is appropriate for our personal marriage bed or not. So in other words, when we are focused on bringing pleasure to our spouse above all, or they want to know what it is that we would like so that they can love us through sex, how can we figure out what's allowed? Well, let's read Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but... Through love, serve one another. Now, as married believers, one thing that we can often easily forget is that our spouse is, first of all, our brother or sister in Christ. And so everything in the Bible that discusses how we treat other Christians will always apply directly to them. So when we consider how we interact with a child of God in the bedroom, our primary concern should be the same as we have for how we treat anyone else who has been saved by grace. So when we have questions about the bedroom, there's really only one question I think we need to ask, and that is, is this thing going to love, respect, and honor a fellow believer? Is it going to honor and respect my spouse? Now, when we do that, that question is actually going to have very different questions for everyone. And that might actually frustrate people because people have questions like let's be let's be honest are things like oral sex okay for christians is 
anal sex okay for Christians? Can we introduce toys or outfits or whatever into the bedroom? You know, should we listen to sensual music during sex? These are specific questions that Christians have, and we want to have a codified, complete, absolute rule for it. But I don't think it's going to be that simple for us. For example, a man or a woman who was sexually abused may be radically uncomfortable with certain acts in the bedroom, while for other couples who don't have any kind of trauma or history are going to be completely fine with them. That might be as simple as being touched certain ways to certain acts. And as followers of Christ, we don't want to say, you know, oh, well, oral sex is always okay in the bedroom, or, you know, a sexual position other than missionary is is okay in the bedroom. And so someone who has a real problem with that for one reason or another, we don't want to tell them they have to do it because the Bible says that it's okay. Instead, we want to give grace and and be open to the fact that while everything is in a way allowed while staying within God's design for sex, we want to be very cautious not to extend so much freedom that we end up hurting our spouse by asking them to do things that may make them uncomfortable or they may simply hate after trying it or it may be something that for one reason or another it hurts them to do emotionally or physically it hurts them to do to where even if they're willing to do it for us are we treating them selfishly by making them suffer for our pleasure or are we willing to be selfless and give something up even if they're willing to let us have it or do it you know, or just in terms of life experience, if you have one spouse who, you know, maybe unfortunately, you know, was not saved until later in life and they grew up with a very sexually active series of relationships, they are going to have a bit more open boundaries and perhaps even more intense or unique desires than someone who maybe saved everything about their body for their wedding day. So what I'm really advocating for here through what I believe God has set forth in the Bible, is that we need to have a balance in how we treat certain sexual things within the bedroom. On one hand, we want to practice self-denial and be willing to say, just because I want it and just because the Bible may say, you got to give it to me, if we are trying to love our spouse and they're not flat out just denying sex, just you know outright, we need to be willing to give up things that we may desire and we may like if it truly and genuinely bothers or upsets or hurts them to do. And on the other hand, if we are on the side of the relationship where maybe there are things that, you know, maybe just aren't our cup of tea, you know, maybe they're not horrible or, you know, bring up some kind of, you know, childhood problems or, or things like that, but they're just things we don't like out of love and service for our spouse, we can still do those things and even find joy in doing them. Not because we enjoy the act, but because we enjoy loving and serving our spouse and doing things that they like, even if maybe we don't like it or just love it as much as they do. I believe that that is a marriage bed that honors God, one that finds balance while keeping the overall desire to bring glory to God in whatever we do. So at the end of the day, I think as we are thinking about sex, one, it is important to focus on not introducing things into the bedroom that are going to defile it. And that is very clearly things that add other people to our sexual time with our spouse, whether that is physically, whether that is visually by looking at things like pornography, or whether that is mentally by picturing things in our heads. 
We do not add anyone else to our marriage bed. Just as our relationship and our desire and our devotion is to be to Christ alone, as our marriages reflect that relationship, we want to make sure that our focus, our desires, and our devotion is to our spouse and our spouse alone. We also want to make sure that sex is something that is happening frequently. We don't want to cause temptation in our spouse by denying them or, you know, only having sex when we feel like it, but instead, honestly, talking to them, checking in, asking, do you need sex more frequently? Are you doing okay? Are there any temptations or desires coming up that I can help you with? And out of love and service to them, making sure that another follower of Christ is not being led into temptation in a way that really only another spouse can do. And within that, in, in having frequent sex or regular sex, making sure that your spouse is your focus, not how good you feel, not how much fun you're having, but making sure that your spouse is always in mind in the things that you're doing, making sure that they are taken care of first. And then you worry about yourself because sex is not those little masks that pop out of the airplane when the cabin is having issues. You don't take care of yourself first when it comes to sex. You take care of the person that God has placed in your life first. And from there, you can pray that they are going to honor God and taking care of you in return. But whether or not they do, whether or not our spouse gives us everything we want or everything even that we need, we are still called to love and serve them by being faithful and by loving them in everything that we do. And then as we think about specific things that we may want to try in the bedroom, and again, that can cover a huge variety of things, I think, as long as, once again, it is only the husband and the wife, physically, visually, and mentally, as long as it's only those two I think we can ask a lot of questions on if things are right for a specific married couple. But make sure that the guiding question you're always asking yourself drives us back to Galatians 5.13, which talks about just because we have freedom doesn't mean we exercise that freedom. But instead, making sure that everything we do, everything we're desiring, everything that we are trying out or asking for in the bedroom is above all loving and serving our spouse. And so for what may seem like a simple topic, there's kind of a lot to consider, but also not a lot to consider, I feel. So if there's one thing that you take away from this, I want it to be this. When we're thinking about our spouse and how we interact with them physically and sexually, if our greatest satisfaction in the bedroom is found in our spouse's pleasure instead of our own, then we honor God by enjoying the good gift that he's given us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. If you'd like to support this ministry, there are three ways that you can do it. You can support it prayerfully. You can support it in terms of outreach by sharing it with other people. Tell your friends about the ministry. Share this episode with them if you think it would help them or encourage them. And you can, of course, support it financially. You can visit the links down in the show notes where you can either give a one-time donation or pledge your monthly support. But I hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.